0: I'm Jennifer and I'm Sean we are here today with Mr. Bruce Poon Tip founder of G Adventures and we are very excited to meet a leader of the tourism industry in person and ask him how the industry can evolve and move forward in the 21st century firstly thank you so much for finding the time to be with us here today thank you
1: thank you for having me
0: Uh, so the origin story of G Adventures is the dream of so many people to get very excited and passionate about travel in their 20s and come home, start a business that becomes a global leader in tourism. Mm-hmm. So are there any insights that you have to share with our listeners who want to become entrepreneurs or create something similar to what you've achieved?
1: Well, you know, it's a little bit harder to be original now. G Adventures is 28 years old and we started in 1990. So you have to go back and think what travel was like and how people research travel and how people decided, you know, how or, or where they wanted to go. It was a very different world. So it's hard to compare us with what people would want to do today. So like, you know, we started before the Internet, before email, before even the fax machine was common. Mm-hmm. So my first hotel reservations I made for our first group, I made them by mail. <laughs> I sent in the reservation by mail. They sent me the invoice. I sent them payment mm-hmm. and then they sent me a receipt. It took like two months to make a hotel reservation. So, you know, to compare the two in terms of opportunity. So at the same time, while it's different, um, I don't think there's any less opportunity now than there yeah. was uh, back then. It's just, Things are just different. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, for people who want to start a business, I, I mean, they have to be passionate about their business. I mean, I always say, you know, I love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. That's really critical if you want to sell a product or a service that you're as passionate about it or else people won't buy it. So first thing is you have to be really passionate about it and also the next thing with entrepreneurs i think is is about motivation you know what's your motivation and why your purpose you know that's so important and when it's ingrained in a company culture and and how business is successful and how it relates to customers ultimately because you know your culture is your brand in kind of the modern you know information age that we're all that's all upon us now so you have to know your motivation like some people want to start businesses because they want to get rich tourism isn't really the necessary path yeah. for that mind you but some people want control of their time. Some people want to work less. I think if I start my own business, I don't have to work as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and why you want to do what you do and you know what that, the purpose is of your business, because that will ultimately weave the fiber of what your business becomes. Um, combine that with the product or service. Mm-hmm. And that's really when you have a winning kind of business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know your business is based on this notion of social enterprise and these mm-hmm. values of social responsibility is an inspiration to a lot of people.
1: hmm it's critical for how we re- recruit, how we retain, and, you know, how we you know get the best, best people to work Absolutely. at G-Adventures.
2: So as your company continues to grow, have the UN Sustainable Development Goals informed G-Adventures' operations and
1: commitment to
2: sustainability?
1: Um, well, the UN goals are very broad, yes. and they're really made for mainstream companies. You know, they're really made for, like, you know, hotel chains, cruise companies. So, you know, a a lot of it wasn't relevant to us because we're really the extreme on the responsible and sustainable side. Mm -hmm. Um, We're really thrilled to be part of it and to take part in as much as we can. And and the fact that the UN is actually making that a priority is really important. And it's really critical for, you know, the movement of tourism to really make really big changes in sustainability. I mean, for us to have a true impact, we do have to engage the bigger businesses and the bigger companies. And so it, it generally has to be a little bit more generic. And for us... I mean, it wasn't necessarily relevant to us because in a lot of those, um, you know, pillars in which they were defining sustainability or, you know, de- development, mm-hmm. we were in those areas. And they, and in the areas that we didn't relate to, because um, they, get, they get into kind of, you know, food and mm-hmm. health yes. and education. And we really believe in those things, but they're not really, you know, something that we're involved in because we, we do have elements of education. Uh, in our in in our business but we're truly mo- motivated by poverty alleviation mm-hmm. that's our thing and we're really really good at that um, yeah. and so we stick to that
0: interesting yeah um i know because the mass you mentioned you're kind of the anti-cruise the mm-hmm. anti like opposite of mass tourism and more focused on backpackers who are already engaged in maybe more responsible tourism or maybe more um giving back more to the local economy
1: yeah well experiential travel I mean, people who want, you know, to get to break away from mainstream travel, really, it's a mindset. It's not an age because I always get asked the question about uh, the demographics of age. Yes. And really, on every group, you know, on our trip, there'll be a 60-year-old that'll be a best friend with a 25-year-old oh, because yeah. they they think the same way. And yeah. they want they want something similar from their holidays. And it's, it's not... Uh, it's a psychographic as opposed to a demographic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've experienced that.
2: <laughs> so, uh, can you tell us a bit more about the work you do to empower and support the local host communities um, that Adventures operates in? We heard of the
1: Ripple Score as a metric that you use, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, there's many. There's a few different levels in which we impact local communities. Um, the first, the first, I guess, our first goal is, uh, as we become successful and we grow in any region, whether it's a new or old region that the local community equally become successful by us being there. So that's really our measure for success, but there's many ways in which we approach that. So the Ripple score is uh, for our customers to know. It's, it's an actual score that it that, that actually drives a lot of behavior within our organization because it gives a score of how much of your money when you spend with us actually is going and staying in the local economy. It's critical, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. It's really and so,
1: so that's changed all the kind of patterns of all of our buying. So all of our buying teams now are motivated to buy buy hotels transportation work with local mm-hmm. companies that are locally owned mm-hmm. and until we took that audit because we have tens of thousands of suppliers around the world and we thought all of them were local yeah. but until we actually did that local score we found out that so many weren't or so many really? were were you know owned by uh you know a german company or a british company or they were part owned by different companies or they weren't mm-hmm. hiring locals or their management was was, was foreigners and that and mm-hmm. we kind of created a, a matrix that kind of looked at all those things to create a score that, show, that showed that when you book this tour, this percentage of your money. But but not, not only that, you know, to give the consumer the peace of mind, but also us as a company to regulate what we do. And so now our buyers are motivated to find more locally owned and locally sourced, mm-hmm. fair trade priced kind of services for our customers to give, uh, you know, to improve our ripple score. Yeah. Um, and then and then the engagement as well through social enterprise and creating. Um, look, when 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 poverty, when extreme poverty intersects with tourism, you know we that's where we shine because we can create a tourism experience or tourism social enterprise program. Whether it's a something that interacts with our customers or like on the Inca Trail recently, we we found we funded a, a, a social enterprise that creates biodegradable soaps and shampoos to use on the Inca Trail, and all companies are using it on the Inca Trail. So whenever things like that, we can create jobs and you know. Another one, in, in example, in Peru, we have the Parva restaurant and in a, in a salad that we include in the meal, there's a quail egg, but we take yeah. 25,000 people there a year, yeah. so they need 25,000 yeah. quail eggs. So <laughs> we created a whole community yeah. business for that sustains multiple communities to create a quail egg business yeah. to supply for our, one of our restaurants for our customers so we can create that and have that impact.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing because you don't think about that. A no. lot of tourists, as a tourist you don't really think
1: about that. The And no, and and and, and it, well, what's great now is we do we like feature all those things and we can create those stories. Yeah. So people when people do travel, they should feel good. Yeah. They should feel good that they're having a positive impact. You should not be unconscious traveling and you should you should feel like you're traveling and that you're having a positive impact and it makes you feel better you know and give you a much better experience and so much more to take home
0: yeah absolutely and it's so interesting it's so novel to actually sell the sustainability aspect of it as well so mm-hmm. not, not just this is something you're doing but this is part of the guest's experience as well it's yeah. just knowing yeah. that they're contributing to well, that community. everyone's
1: life has changed when tourism is done right yeah. not that the traveler the host the the you know the people on the ground you know the operator you know, our employees by selling you and being inspired to to get you on one of those trips i mean it's 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 uh it's a cycle of you know creating wealth distribution doing great great things that and tourism being a force for good mm-hmm.
2: that's excellent Yeah, i love the transparency of it all just just meeting your colleagues from vancouver and around the world the ceos mm-hmm. they, they can see it in their eyes how much passion in their in their heart how much they enjoyed their job and what what comes what they get mm-hmm. intrinsically from it so mm-hmm. It's important. Um, On
0: that note, I do have to ask, uh, do you ever find it difficult to balance social goals like supporting sustainability, supporting local communities uh, with your goals as a business person to make more profit, grow the company faster, uh, Mm -hmm. compete in the marketplace? Or do Mm -hmm. you find that these things support each other?
1: Well, they do support each other. I mean... And there are times where you have to focus on one side or the other. But I do believe in the philosophy that if we get our business model right, all the other things like I've always had a bit of a like I, even my book Tail, was uh, talks about karma and business. I do believe if you get your business model right, all those other things fall into place like profitability and growth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've always worked on our company culture, getting the right people in place, creating values, driven business model, that, that purpose driven model, getting people all focused on the same goal and purpose. And if we get all that right, I believe that, you know, you will grow and I believe that you will get the best people in your within your business. And, you know, all of those things that people study about, I guess, traditionally in business that focus on like, you know, product development or being more profitable, being aggressive. Mm-hmm. I think all those come if you get your business model right. And so it's taken us a long time. You know, we've really started focusing on our business model. We're 28 years old. I would, th- I would think that it's really been the last 50, 10, 15 years that we've really nailed that side of the the intrinsic karma side of business, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, you know, um, markets change, you know, things change, you know, you know social media, um, digital marketing, digital communication has really changed how we look at things. And it's really, um, you know, the information that people have at their fingertips today, how people book with, you know, travel, how people look at traveling, how people get inspired to travel with content marketing and these kind of things. You know, we've had to be a little bit more methodical. Um, but I still believe that we are real driver in the success of our business is the people getting the right people, uh, you know, um, getting the right people on the bus and getting the right people in every seat. And then when you get you, you have that magical moment where everyone's like focused on the same goal. I think all those other things fall into place.
2: Mm-hmm. And, like word of mouth between family and friends like when they come back from these trips they just Well just
1: you. And... Well you just saying there that you know when you meet some of our people or just talk to some of our people yep. they're so passionate and you know it and you <laughs> feel it. And and I'm sure you probably have told a couple people yes. like and that's magic. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's 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 this it's priceless. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Absolutely. And so on that kind of note, you have founded and are associated with several organizations like Planetara. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you see these organizations complementing each other to support uh, your overarching vision?
1: Well, Planetara is critical for the social enterprise side of our biz- our vision. So our goal is to have 100 social enterprise community projects by 2020. Um, that's a lot. Um, so in terms of our designs of innovation in tourism, poverty alleviation, wealth distribution, you know, proving that model works within a, the framework of a, you know, a group tour business, Planetary is critical to that model. Uh, but on top of that, though, uh, integrating it and also Planetary having planetary having a bigger impact on the greater tourism industry is mm-hmm. also really important. Mm-hmm. So Planetary does work with um, governments now, where we consult to be con- com- building companies like Haiti. We've done work for the government of Colombia about making sustainable choices when they think of a tourism strategy for those countries and so having that kind of positive impact as well is really important for us and you know the future of our business model i mean it's it's there it's symbiotic it's it's not it's not like a, a choice anymore yeah. it's just part of our existence yeah. so we don't really think of it as separate things
2: so just in class the other day, we were talking about voluntourism and kind of the controversy that's surrounding it right now over the mm-hmm. last decade with students and young people. Lots of students graduate, they want to go volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're fully aware that G Adventures stopped doing this yeah. a while ago. Can you just give us some more insights into your thought process on that?
1: Yeah, voluntourism is a, is a tough one because in order to do it at any scale, you have to be able to market and sell departures. Um, and volunteer work and need meaningful need doesn't doesn't arise on, on a schedule so when someone decides they want to go and they have like a certain month to go volunteer or a certain it doesn't necessarily uh, mean that there's meaningful work available and where they want to go so what happens is these volunteer these volunteerism companies create uh, experiences for people where in, in a make work situation where they're I've heard of volunteering where you're painting a school, but it's been painted the third time in in three yes, months. Yes. Or Or uh, you're you know a, a, a water well program that you get there and the well, wells are the there, but you're doing another one because they're trying to merchandise volunteering. And I just think that meaningful work doesn't come operationally, you know, expedient for operation for for merchandising and selling to customers. Yeah. And it's dangerous because you end up you know there's a market there for people who want to do good. And you end up putting them in in a position to um, create an experience that isn't authentic now. Um, And so it's just very hard. I mean, if you could have volunteer programs, and there are smaller ones that do really good work. And when there's a volunteer, you know, when there's a flood and you need people to go into an area and redo paths or redo houses, then there's a need. Mm -hmm. And so and so and then when kids want to or students want to volunteer, there's an actual need as opposed to trying to schedule and create volunteer experiences that are no, no longer meaningful. And really, you're spending most of your time managing the volunteers mm-hmm. because you're putting them on something that's no longer meaningful to the community. Um, like, you know, teaching. Like when you, they have kids coming in to teach in schools and things. Yeah. Um, I just don't know. You spend, They spend so much time managing volunteers. Yeah. And finding the right volunteers. I just don't think you can merchandise that in a way that's, you know, uh, that's that's at any scale anyways. Volunteer yeah. companies should be very small. Should be very nimble and should be you know be able to pivot quickly when a need arises yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know like and you know or solve a problem that has a start and an end mm-hmm. like we had a volunteer program you know for uh, an island that, that needed water tanks and we had to raise money for certain water tanks but there was a start and an end to that program because eventually everyone got a water tank um yeah and so you and and that doesn't work when you're running a business where you know, something's selling really well and you have to stop it because it ends.
2: Right. So I'm currently in an international ecotourism class and I'd love to hear how G Adventures collaborate with other ecotourism operators around the world, mm-hmm. both locally in the countries
1: and internationally. Well, ecotourism operators is is kind of a very broad term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay. um, I don't know if I know exactly what you mean by ecotourism operators, but we work with a lot of local partners Um, on um in in many different ways because i mean you can be an ecotourism operator and be like a small um you know surf school Mm -hmm. on you know that that start by local a local community local family we have a kayaking program i know that's run by an entire town that we um you know have as one of our programs um and so all of our kind of experiences are um we have many different local partners um i can think of one of the the, the first ones probably the most famous one is Delphine and his group in the Amazon the first he's a, a tribe in the Amazon that we ran our first tour with in 1990 our first tours and his community at the time it's an they're the Pimpilala tribe in the in the Amazon and we've been sending a group to his community every month for 28 years wow. and that's you know I mean I don't know if you'd define that as an ecotourism project, but it's one of the most successful, community development projects because they've managed to preserve their culture and stay living in the Amazon yeah. because of the revenue from tourism. They've created a school, which, which you know, now that yeah. they didn't have before to educate their kids. And they had, they've had to use the money to fight off loggers and oil companies wow. over the years. They fought the government who tried to um, tried to tell them they couldn't speak their native language and had to speak Spanish to teach their children. And they had to hire lawyers. Yeah. And they would have never been able to do that if they didn't have money from yeah. tourism.
0: So really empowering people, not just economically, but ultimately politically and in every other way.
1: Cultural preservation is mm-hmm. a big part of the success of tourism in the future, mm-hmm. but also a big part of sustainability. Yeah. I mean, you. I mean, when you get high traffic areas where you know lots of tourists, um, you know, come regularly, it certainly is um, going to be somewhat watered down or become more generic. But all those other smaller experiences in smaller countries and smaller communities people are visiting, cultural preservation is critical to sustainability.
2: Yeah. Okay, so uh, we understand that G Adventures has tried to implement carbon offsets in the past, but they did not continue this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is this something you may consider
1: re-evaluating in the near future? Um, No. I I can honestly say that carbon offsetting isn't something that we... I mean, we are looking at ways in which we can um, because our consumers want us to address the issue of climate change and how we're going to do that. And so we do that in various ways by working with a lot of um, different ocean groups for ocean research. Mm -hmm. Uh, Antarctic, um, we support a lot of Antarctic causes in terms of, um, you know, the polarized caps and and study and science that goes into that and and supporting those kind of causes. Um, You know, carbon offsets is not a certified science. The idea that I plant trees here, but burn fuel here, I think is somewhat dangerous to think at act sometimes, and we've yeah. never really fully bought into the idea of offsetting. Uh, I think it's really a good thing to do in terms of if you're just offsetting a flight or if you want to offset you know, something you're specifically doing or a project. But for a company of our size to have you know, some kind of carbon offset kind of program, I don't know that anyone has ever done um, done it in a way that's that science, you know, science proves that this has the the impact that they say it has. I think there's a lot of questions in the uh, carbon offset uh, concept. It's almost like the organic industry. When the organic industry first came out, everything was organic. I remember seeing organic Oreo cookies, (laughs) (laughs) everything, organic Pop-Tarts. I have a slide I use sometimes that shows organic (laughs) Pop-Tarts. Until it was regulated and it was actually proven what, and defined as organic, it was, there was a lot of, it was a bit of a, a Wild West kind of, rushed organic yeah and carbon offsets i whilst i believe it's something that's good and it's something that you know many people can use it as within their daily kind of path of justice as i said carbon offsetting certain things the idea that a company completely invests in in this industry before it's you know regulated and there's just been so many cases of fraud um, and and problems unfortunately yeah um that you know we've never really invested in that Uh, and not that we don't want to move the concept forward, but it's not something that we've kind of looked at seriously.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Because there are many ways to tackle an issue. And yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to move it along here. Yeah, do it. <laughs> so one of your best-selling books, Loop Tale, speaks mm-hmm. to the importance that you place on good karma, happiness and freedom and making meaningful connections. So how have you implemented these values into G-Adventures?
1: Everything to do with our business model is around happiness. So we believe that there's four pillars of happiness, and it's not something that I wrote. There's many, many scientific studies on what drives sustained human happiness. Um, it's about creating freedom. It's about being part of something greater than yourself. It's about connectedness. And so, so for us, our, our whole everything we do is about driving human happiness within G. Because I believe, you know, happy people perform, um, at, at, at perform and outpace traditional companies. So we, that's a really big driver for us um, within our business. Um, so, I mean, everything, like every program we put together, all of our training programs, all of our communication tools are about connectedness. Terror is about being part of something greater than yourselves. Freedom, creating freedom as we get bigger as an organization. Like all of these things are, are critical to our success. And so, you know, all of those, those elements in our brand, like, you know, freedom, karma, um, but I told you about our business earlier, about our business model, getting it right. There's a real belief in our business of not chasing, you know, not making decisions based on profitability or, mm-hmm. you know, bottom line. Because we really believe if we stay, you know, keep pure to our intention of, you know, in our business decisions, all of those things will fall in line. Sometimes it takes a while and sometimes it's scary, but you have to really believe in it because uh, it'll, it'll all come back. We we really are living proof of that yeah. because when we set out on this path you know, really aggressively in the last 15 20 years people thought we were crazy yeah. um, to really believe that karma and getting our business model right would pay dividends and it has to do with getting the right people mm-hmm. managing the right people getting people um, passionate and happy and happiness is a, a key driver to all of that and putting those those things into place and people that are you know supercharged like that just just don't fail I mean there's no option for failure in our business model. And that's a traditional business tenant. That's it's, it's quite aggressive, right? Yeah. Like if I say, you know, we have no option to fail. That's yeah. like a that's like a line right out of, out of a you know um, Harrison Ford movie, Hunt for Red October. But I mean, yeah. um, but we really believe it. But we believe it intrinsically, you know, as a is in the fabric of you know the purpose of our business.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I'm talking about people and, and happiness uh, for our listeners out there, is there an opportunity to work for G Adventures right now? I believe there's a quite a protocol for the interviews. You can't just walk in and get a job. There's just a few tests involved.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it's hard. to It, it is hard. It's a, maybe it's a bit too hard. It's a good thing. But, a good thing <laughs> well, we have so whenever you get a jo- uh, get through the the screening process of the the, the department you're you're impl- uh, applying for. Um, you then have to take what we call the G factor, which is our culture fit interview. And so that interview is done by ra- randomly three people across the company and it's different people all the time. And that interview has nothing, they don't know what you're applying for, what level position you're applying for, whether it's senior, junior. It's just a complete culture interview, whether you fit our company culture. Wow. Um, and if you get a red light on that, yeah. th- there is no chance of you getting hired yeah. at G. And so sometimes, you know, we have directors and VPs that are hiring very senior people. Mm-hmm. They've been vetting people for a year, gone through many, many candidates, and then they fail G Factor. Like, you, and G Factor, you get it. But G Factor, you get a, a green, yellow, or red. Okay. If you get a red,
2: yeah. there's no there's no mm-hmm. chance
1: for coming back. You yeah. If you get a yellow, there's an investigation. You can ask questions. You can talk to the person again. Yeah, and it happens all the time. Um, but it really does. And we've been criticized for RG Factors, by the way. There was a newspaper, there's a few newspapers that have written stories that we are becoming somewhat inbred and that we're only bringing in the same type of people, the same type of thinking, and we're ultimately going to fail because, you know, we're all, you know, we're creating a cult sort of thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's really not that. I mean, for us, it's about finding people that really, you know, no individual person is worth risking our culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes across the business, people will hire people that are really good at what they do, but doesn't necessarily mean they're fit. And I don't want I don't want people to ever hire people into my, my company based on performance. Yeah. You know, so so a certain director in sales might might or uh, might be need to deliver numbers. So they'll hire someone that's just really good at selling, but they're a jerk. Yeah. I don't want them in my business. Yeah. Our culture is not worth risking. Having what we call brilliant jerks. There's lots of brilliant jerks out there, and they're really good at what they do, but they're not. They're not suited for doing it within our walls.
2: Just for my, I'd love to know. I I believe it's true. Is there a a ball pit involved somewhere? Where you have to jump in a ball pit? Because I love this being interview (laughs) process. Oh my goodness! You've done your research.
1: (laughs) Uh, yes there is a ball pit so that if you come into to, in, like I mean you you can do them by Skype if you're not in Toronto but or in one of our offices because I think there's ball pits everywhere now but uh, yeah you do have to do the interview ball. and there is a crown and anchor wheel have you heard about that no we're being okay. in secrets tell me so <laughs> on the wall there's a big wheel and you have to spin it to get your questions oh, uh, wow. and, they, and then they ask you these questions and actually you know the other day, one day I had a guy uh, it was a gentleman who uh, I I, I uh, I didn't have this person, I just heard the story, but uh, uh, someone who refused to get into the ball pit. Just says, um, they just refused to get in. They no. just thought it was just so ridiculous. I said, wow. well, That's um, a bye-bye. Who doesn't love a good ball pit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Cool. Okay, Bruce, um, just one last question before you go. It's one very, very important last question. If you were stranded on an island, which three items would you have with you and why?
1: Which three items? Yeah, any three. Items. Okay, so we have a question like this in our G Factor on the Anchor oh, Wheel: really? is, <laughs> If you were stranded on a desert island, alive or dead, who who are the three people that you would take with you? Yeah. And so for years, when you hear people's answers, people think, Oh, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, yeah. the Dalai Lama. People have come up with all kinds of crazy things. One day, um, who the a, a gentleman who is now my VP of technology. He got the answer. He got the question. He says, Who, three, which three people would you take on the island? And he said, my daughter, my wife, and my mother-in-law, because my mother-in-law make my wife happy. Perfect. And everyone Perfect. just froze and said, oh, my gosh, that's the right answer. No, no one's ever given that answer. No, <laughs> anyway, so in answer to your question, the three things I would bring with me on an island would probably be... So if I brought my phone, would it work? Do I have a signal? Do I have a satellite? Or, so <laughs> you I would take I, that chance. <laughs> no. So I wouldn't take my phone unless. So I have to have some 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 ground rules. So of course I wouldn't take my phone if it wouldn't work. But if I magically had Wi-Fi and signal, I would take my phone. That'd be one thing I would take. Um, I'd probably if I I would need some kind of. Killing item for hunting. So i need a a, a knife or a gun or some kind of weapon to to, to either fishing. Depending on the island and the the temperature of the island, I would probably need some kind of weapon for defense or killing for food. So, or even cutting, whatever. All purpose tool. Okay. So I'd need that. And then the third thing I would carry with me... Would probably be okay. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna suggest like the traditional things like food and no.
0: water and all that this stuff. Is what I'm we just, like. This is good. Yeah. So yeah. I, it's a
1: tough question. This I is know. this is big. I feel like we're really on the spot. So, so I thought. I so the other thing, Wilson I, and Castaway,
2: and
1: bringing <laughs> yeah, bringing a pet. I, and I'd say, if we say a thing. So I, of course I would say my, my my kids, but they're not kind of inanimate objects. But I would say I so. um, the other thing that I I probably bring is music. I think, that, I think that I think you like if you're on an island by yourself yeah yeah I think music would really emotion yeah connection. yeah I think music would be a big thing as long as I had the food and the water we got all that stuff yeah. out of the way yeah, yeah. I've yeah. now got my killing item yeah. <laughs> I've got my music if I've got my phone I've got a connection actually that sounds kind of great <laughs> I'd, I'd actually kind of do that tomorrow. <laughs>
0: Excellent.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Bruce. This has been was, amazing. Thank yeah, you. Thank yeah, you for having, having me.
0: And a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. We would like to give special thanks for this episode to Co-Chair Stephanie Wells, the Department of Tourism Management, and Capilano University. Have something to say about what you heard on Capilano Radio? Want to get involved with the Capilano Radio team? Are you an artist looking for a platform to showcase your work? drop us a line at capilanoradio at gmail.com or visit our website at capilanoradio.com.